Well, today's guest uh, on the Art of Complexity podcast is Andrew and Liz Hunt, an entrepreneur couple who both have separate businesses uh, and they, they lead, but also collaborate on a lot of things together as a couple. This was a very fun episode to record as we as we dive into complexity from personal perspectives as a as a couple, but also in the unique project challenges that they that they've uh, taken on. And specifically, we talk about an amazing uh, project that they t- participated in, really led uh, with a pop up store that was launched for about a month. That uh, was focused on uh, engaging the community of Omaha. Um, with a message. So I think you'll really love this episode because we kind of go a bunch of different places. There's there's some great one-liners in this episode as well, but I really enjoyed just talking to Andrew and Liz about how they navigated the challenges on a day-to-day basis of of this pop-up store. So join me in the, the, after the introduction here and lean in as we listen to their story about the art of complexity. Welcome to the Art of Complexity podcast, where we explore how people and organizations understand and tackle the most complex challenges they face on a day-to-day basis. Simply put, how they think and act beyond. If you or your organization faces a challenge that seems to just be unsolvable, then you're in the right place. Now, here's your host, Roy Adams. Welcome to this episode of the Art of Complexity. Uh, I have the privilege to be sitting down with with two wonderful people who I've gotten to know over the last well, I mean, it's been six six years now. Yeah, I think so. Is that about right? Yeah. Um, and who I, I'm really excited about talking to them today because it's this is a this will be a little bit different, I think, episode because I've been talking to some some leaders and uh, change agents at the really big kind of complex level mm-hmm. uh, of you know big problem sets like war and huge organizational transformations and things like <laughs> that. But I've also sat down with entrepreneurs um, as well and, and looking at complexity um, through their lens um, and through the lens of what they do. And um, just by way of introduction for our guest, you heard kind of the bio to begin with, but um, Andrew and Liz are uh, a couple and both entrepreneurs in their own right um, who have um, started multiple businesses, I believe, um, individually and together, um, and, and we're going to explore that a little bit with them, uh, and, then, and then talk about a, a unique thing that they did together through one of their businesses in, in a, community, um, a community initiative that... Um, was really unique, I think, um, and something that I think will our listeners will find very interesting. But just by way of introduction, um, why don't you introduce yourselves? Maybe tell uh, our listeners a little bit about um, your journey into into entrepreneurship. Um, you know, I may want to spend a little bit of time with you there, if that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe I'll go first. Sure. <clears throat> so my name is Andrew, obviously, <laughs> and uh, I. I have kind of a non-traditional path into entrepreneurship in that I worked in established businesses before I became an entrepreneur and had a chance to be an intrapreneur um, for the first several years of my career. So uh, I started out uh, in Omaha, Nebraska, working for a uh, small coffee chain. It's called Scooter's Coffee. Um, And when I started there, there were just a couple of locations, um, but I had the benefit of 
uh, working for one of the uh, first franchisers of that organization who had a real vision for what franchising in retail coffee could look like. And uh, he's had probably the most profound impact on my life and career. Um, and he may not even know it. I've tried to tell him, but uh, <laughs> uh, but he eventually, he bought one franchise and I was his general manager. And then uh, while I worked for him, we bought uh, six more. Um, and then eventually he now has uh, well over 40 franchises. And so that's where I got my taste for what a real true entrepreneur is and, and really what vision can look like and, and you know somebody who is willing to take big risks um, and was a phenomenal delegator is a phenomenal delegator um, and gave me that taste uh, and I was lucky that I got that taste at 18 years old that's what that was my job in in college sorry it's so like 18 and you're yeah. general manager of uh, school, mul- yeah, yeah multiple stores multiple or site coffee shop yeah it was, wow. it was extraordinary. It was yeah. outrageous. Yeah, <laughs> it was outrageous. Uh, but all the while, I was in college. I was uh, studying to be an accountant. And, um, you know, as a young person, I didn't see a future in coffee. Uh, again, I was kind of already a manager of our organization, and, and I didn't have any money to be a partner. And so I thought, I better go do something with my accounting degree. Um, so I got into banking and uh, worked at uh, a large local bank here. And uh, did that for a couple of months before I was recruited uh, to go to a management consulting company. Um, and I uh, went to that management consulting company, and that's where I really got my taste for entrepreneurship. Um, I started an entity inside of that management consulting company that um, served executives of the company and for financial planning and investment management. Mm-hmm. And I had the chance to start that, run it, build it, um, really with the risk being on the broader organization. I didn't have my own capital in it. I was the president of the organization, but I wasn't an owner. Um, And so it was invaluable experience to take what I learned at Scooters, um, use my degree and my skill set as academics uh, to go build a business for the first time uh, with with risk, but not a ton of risk. Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, It really gave me that initial taste. I was like, oh yeah, this is what I want to do. So about uh, almost four years ago, uh, I left that, which was one of the scariest things I've ever done. Uh, we'll uh, talk about that. Yeah. Maybe a bit <laughs> <laughs> I left that sure thing, that salary job, and uh, went and started my own uh, financial planning and investment management business with a partner. Um, and uh, that's what I do today. I'm a financial planner, and, and uh, that's my day job. Awesome. Yeah. So um, that was really good, Andrew. <laughs> I'm going to try to follow up with that. So my name is Liz Hunt. Um, I currently am the owner and creative director of a company called Daycloud Studios. We do um, a lot of advertising. We call ourselves a brand strategy and creative agency. So um, my story kind of started when I was in college. I um, started, I did an internship for a graphics department for um, Gallup and um, really learned like how to like have a team of creatives and like how kind of the intricacies of like how that all functions and how that works and how to like be organized with that because there was like a team of eight or nine of us there that worked together and they had a really good process and system for the way that they did their files and things like that and so I learned a lot about how to like how they run a large team of creatives and um, then the 2007-2008 downturn situation happened and there was a lot of people that let go and my internship ended up ending. 
So um, I moved on to, I worked for like a development shop here in Omaha and for a little while with some friends. Um, <clears throat> and then I started freelancing for a guy who owned like a really small design firm. It was actually just him. And then when he hired me, I was working with him part time for a while. And that's where, where I really got the bug for like starting a business. Uh. Um, that's really where I kind of got a taste of like, ooh, this is like, like a totally different style of like living and working and operating and all the things. And so um, I learned a ton about how to run a small business from that experience that I had with him because he had only he had only been working a couple of years at that point. So I, I really got to be there from the ground up. Mm -hmm. um, and then he ended up merging with another company and then management kind of changed and, you know, things just didn't go well after that. And so I ended up um, getting fired <laughs> from my, what I thought at the time was my dream job. Um, and so after that, I kind of just started freelancing as a designer again. Um, that's what my degree is in, is I have a um, Bachelor of Fine Arts in Design. And so I've always known that I wanted to do that, but I had always kind of planned on, you know, when I'm like 40 or 45, I'll probably go start my own company when I have a good roster of clients already and mm -hmm. stuff. Well, it turns out that happened when I was 26. Okay. <laughs> and basically it just came about because I just needed a job. So then in the, during the time that I was looking for a job, I was freelancing um, and I worked for another startup here in town and then um, they ended up moving to Kansas City and so I, you know, wanted to stay in Omaha. So, um, but basically what happened was by the time I found out that, you know, things at that new company were changing and my contract with them was ending, um, I ended up the next week got phone calls from a... Um, university here in Omaha mm -hmm. and then the largest local accounting firm here in Omaha literally within the span of three days they both called me saying hey we need a freelancer designer to come in and help us with um, huge brand rollouts we just rebranded and we need somebody to do all the follow-up work that <laughs> takes with doing that and so um so I did. So I just, I kind of just took the leap and like went for it. Um, I may have still been applying for jobs at that time, but you know, I know now that I'm not a good fit uh -huh. for anything other than what I'm doing currently, probably. <laughs> so it was a good thing. Um, so I ended up from those two accounts, I had those two accounts, um, gosh, a couple years probably, and then just small little projects coming here and there. And then eventually by year three or four, um, we were working on big projects and continued. We still had the, both of those clients. We were still working with them, but we were getting more and new clients all the time. And so things just kind of snowballed from there. And it ended up that, um, gosh, I hired my first employee just through uh, four or five months after I like landed those two accounts because mm -hmm. they, we ended up having a lot of work that we needed extra help with. Um, and thankfully I had Andrew there with me to say, no, you need to like, she should contract under you, right? Subcontract under you. And um, so that's sort of how Dayclub got started was like, hey, I need help. And then we just like made this like 
one really pivotal decision, I feel like, that um, essentially turned us into a studio. And so things just kind of snowballed from there. I ended up incorporating, finally, like probably nine months later or mm -hmm. so after yeah. I started. Like, it was kind of like one of those, oh, I'm I'm actually running a studio and didn't realize it. I should <laughs> probably, like, turn this into a real business, you know, and, like, tell tell people. So um, I incorporated and all, did all the, you know, logistics stuff. And then, um, yeah, from there, just continued to hire people. And um, You've been in business now... I've been in business now for six or seven years. Six, six, years. six years. Yeah, six years. So this isn't unique. I mean, I, I don't know yeah. a couple like you. I'm sure there are many <laughs> around the country and many yeah. may be listening, but both of you starting a business, one an entrepreneur endeavor, one yeah. your own small business mm -hmm. at the same time. Yeah, mm -hmm. basically. So... Yeah. That enters a whole lot of <laughs> whole lot of dynamics into yeah. into your relationship as a as a couple. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to get too personal, but complexity is about personal relationships That's sometime. Yeah. What what were some of the challenges of of entering into these endeavors that you had to work yeah. through together? Yeah. Well, I would if I could jump in sure. right off. I mean, I think one of the, the things that we had going for us is that we both come from very similar blue-collar backgrounds. Um, and so we know what it means to work. Um, and I think that we were reflecting on this recently. I think that is one of the biggest factors that made this work as a couple for us to work together um, on both of these enterprises. Um, and we, we actually have another business that we haven't even talked about, but... You are serial entrepreneurs. Yeah, yeah. And so I think having that shared blue-collar background, knowing what it is to work and knowing what it is to work hard and long hours was really important. Um, and I think that speaks to a couple things. You know, it speaks to sacrifice and understanding that anything worthwhile takes time and effort um, and then also I, I think it speaks to just this idea of uh, commitment you know like uh, a real grittiness of uh, you know it takes time but then it also sometimes you, it's really hard um, and so I think that's something that we didn't know when we got into it but that we've learned and then as we've reflected uh, now here being married for a while um, saying hey I think that those are two things that really contributed being able to work for us is that idea of grit and sacrifice. Yeah. 11 years. We've been married 11 years. In case you forgot. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> um, I would add to that too. Um, I totally agree with you, Andrew. But I would also say that it actually like helped us a lot that Andrew would come home and I would come home and we would both like have this level of understanding about what was going on in each other's lives. Like the level of sacrifice, yeah. like you said, and like the level of like crap you know like we got to deal with these problems and you know like there was it was it was actually like um the fact that we were both doing it actually I feel like made it a lot easier yeah. because we both understood what was happening you know like we both understood the sacrifice I've heard other couples where one is the entrepreneur and the other one has you know a normal 40-hour day job um that's like the one who's the entrepreneur, it's like a real, it's really hard to explain all of the um, pressure and all of the burden and all the stress and all the anxiety and all the everything, you know, that goes along with, you know, being in that situation. Yeah. And so it actually made it 
um, really great for us because we were both there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like we we're both in the trenches, if you will. So entrepreneurship, yeah. and I, I don't even like the word entrepreneurship. So we use the word small it's business kind of owner. A, uh, it's such glamorized. a buzzword right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, you know, when you're a small business owner, even if you have staff, um, it is extremely lonely. Um, there are things that you just cannot understand until you're in it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, having to make payroll every two weeks, um, you know, living and dying by the next sale, especially in advertising the, the business that Liz is in. Um, it's very, very lonely. Mm-hmm. So having somebody, uh, your partner, your life partner that you can come home to every night and who intimately understands that loneliness mm-hmm. and can help lighten the burden a little bit, yeah. it's huge. Yeah. I think that and combined with the fact that they understand that you know, my, my business is nationwide. We serve clients all over the country. Um, and so just knowing that Liz understands that I might have to get on a plane tomorrow mm-hmm. um, and go do work. And she, no question, is like, yeah, I get it. That's how we, that's how we live. Yeah. What um, you got to do. Yeah, to, for her to be able to understand that um, is huge. Where I think when you've got one person that doesn't have that kind of um, requirement in their life, the other person can resent them or they could uh, think that it's not really necessary. When the truth of the matter is, is it's like, it's, it's everything. Dire. Yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. everything. Yeah. In fact, it's very necessary. Yeah. So I think, yeah. I mean, man, it is so complex. And we've had endless conversations just about the roller coaster ride of small mm-hmm. business mm-hmm. Um, and how we joke, you we actually think you need to be a little crazy. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, <laughs> Unpack that a little bit. For yeah. <laughs> a little crazy? A like, little crazy. Which I own that. We are. Yeah. <laughs> you got to be a little unusual. Yeah. you got to be a little crazy yeah. um, to, to really make it work. So um, I, the theme of the podcast, there's really two big questions that we're mm-hmm. kind of trying to explore. Mm-hmm. That's a little bit. What does complexity look like? Yeah. And it has so many... I mean, it's a big scientific um, academic term, mm-hmm. but it expresses itself in such unique ways in different contexts. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the second question is how people navigate it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, I just want to maybe talk a little bit about, you know, I hope I'm, we're setting this up really for the listeners. You know, two, two emerging small businesses, small business owners operating as a couple supporting each other in some cases, taking active roles in each other's endeavors, mm-hmm. um, but it's working. Yeah. What What do you attribute <laughs> that? That I mean, you talked about personal relationship, but from a business or uh, com- complexity viewpoint, what do you? What are some things that you attribute that success to right now? A hundred percent, I would attribute to betting on our strengths. Um, so, although I'm an accountant by training. Uh, I'm an, not an accountant in personality. Uh, I am I am a salesman, mm-hmm. um, and so uh, I have, I'm good at building relationships and mm-hmm. and good at uh, managing relationships. Um, I understand technical things, uh, but at the end of the day, my talent set is all about relationship and all about influencing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we bet on that. Mm-hmm. So my business is heavily uh, weighted in that as a financial planner. It's all relationship. Certainly, we have to do the technical things well, um, but at the end of the day, relationships matter the most. Um, and so when I pinch hit for Liz, um, most of the time at the advertising agency, it's as in a sales role. Mm-hmm. Uh, I come into sales meetings, um, and I can put a, a strategy hat on because of my business background, uh, but that's where I bet on my strengths. Yeah, yeah I would agree. I was going to say something very similar, is that um, we complement each other's strengths really well. So Andrew 
knows a lot about business. He has several business degrees and, you know, but then I have the fine art and creative background that, you know, in a business like advertising, you really have to have both. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also have this, um, ability to be a dreamer and a doer at the same time. So I, I, it's weird, but I can, you know, operate with equal adeptness on both sides of my brain. You know, it's one time I'll use more of the other so that I can walk on the creative side, but I can also walk on the business side, which is like a unique, I don't know, line to walk on for myself. Um, and so I can work with somebody like Andrew really easily because I, you know, I learn a lot from him about how to run a business, but I can also execute on that stuff. But then I can also manage an entire team of creatives and designers and copywriters and marketers and know like how to do that as well. You know, like Mm -hmm. it's just because they're both in me. Um, so yeah, I would say that we complement each other's strengths really well. So I think for our listeners to, to think about your organization's strengths, your individual strengths, and and really try to, to map those things out in, in any complex situation is, is a great first step to mm-hmm. think about um, even understanding a complex challenge or problem. So let's talk about a complex challenge <laughs> slash endeavor slash what did we do yeah. kind of experience that both of you <clears throat> took on. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, you know, I happened to know a little bit about it because I, I was kind of not in there with you. I think I helped maybe <laughs> yeah, a couple of times. You volunteer. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's such a unique experience yeah. that um, from a complexity perspective, I, I, I really I'd like to maybe set that up. Mm-hmm. What 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 it is I'm talking about? Um, who, how in the world did you think of doing something like this? Right. Um, and then, and then we'll kind of talk about some yeah. of the challenges you experienced. And and, and, and I want to twist it a little bit, just to be thinking about this as you're answering. And I want to talk about how you were a leader in that, mm-hmm. and how you brought out what some things you learned as, as leaders of of, a, of an endeavor that was very complex um, in its nature. So. I'll let you guys set it up a little bit. Yeah. Um, maybe okay. I'll, I'll ask some clarifying questions yeah. if, if I, I think there's some details that need to come out. Yeah, well, I, uh, maybe I'll, I'll set up, I'll lay the, the scene, sure. uh, and then we can start talking about some of the conflict that we faced uh, while we were doing this project. So, <laughs> you mean all the conflict? Yeah, all the conflict yeah. that we faced. <laughs> so, um, so this project was with Daycloud Studios, our advertising and creative agency. And we were engaged by a community group. It was a, a group of 40 evangelical churches in the Omaha metro area. Um, and for our listeners that aren't from Omaha, um, I think it'd be good to provide some context for a little bit about the city of Omaha. Omaha is about a million people, the metro area is, so it's a good-sized city, uh, but it's not huge. Uh, but we are one of the most segregated cities in all of America, which is, in fact, we may be the most segregated city in all of America. Um, so having 40 diverse churches from across our metro is a really big deal. Yeah. Um, and so 40 churches got together and they said, we want to reach out to the city of Omaha with a message of love and compassion. Um, and so they pooled resources together, again, unprecedented. Uh, yeah. Every church, but based on size, pooled resources and uh, said, hey, let's hire an advertising agency to help us get this message out to the city. And they engaged with us, um, which was flattering and, and a cool opportunity. Yeah. So uh, we wanted to do something that would be really unusual. 
that would really not just be more white noise in a, a very noisy advertising city. Um, there's a lot of big industry here, and so to stand out is difficult. Um, so we were brainstorming um, like we do as a creative agency, and uh, I'm going to take the blame for this idea. <laughs> I said I had just gotten done reading something in the New York Times about a pop-up store in downtown New York City. Um, it was for uh, the brand Oreos, uh, the cookie, um, and they did a really cool uh, live interactive experience um, in a pop-up environment in the streets of Manhattan. And I thought, wow, how cool is that? Could we do something similar with our client here who wants to get some organic press and wants to really be able to engage people, not just with a message, but with a tactile experience? I would say, too, if you've ever been to South by Southwest, the conference, this a lot of brands do this a lot at that conference yeah. where they will build, like, booths but like way more but yeah. yeah way more than booths they'll build entire environments or experiences of some kind to you know have people invite people in to experience whatever their product or service is yeah so, so a really in-depth immersive ex brand experience mm -hmm. uh, that will engage potential users in a way that they weren't expecting and so just yeah. to refer to recap we have 40 different organizations who yep. have their own <laughs> unique stakes groups of stakeholders oh, yeah. engaging with you to create not just a messaging campaign but but a, some form of an experience that would engage the community yeah. with that message yes. that's right yeah <laughs> so we got a lot of stakeholders yeah uh, and we've got uh, uh this is not profit so we got a limited budget and we've got this crazy idea to build a, a live interactive experience so let me preface this, that my original vision was like for one weekend and in the size of a closet. <laughs> I, thought, I thought if our pop-up store could be the size of a closet for one weekend, oh, how cool that would be. Yeah. Um, so we uh, started thinking about well, what could be this experience, you know, what, we're, you know. Where we could we have this? What could we do with it? We even talked about it, the possibility of it being mobile. Oh. You know, mm -hmm. something like that. On like, a trailer Yeah, or would it be on a trailer that we could take around to different parts of the city or things like that? But it was really contingent on what kind of space we could find. Mm -hmm. um, so we started looking to our network. We're, I'm from Omaha, so I, I know some people around town. So I started massaging my network saying, hey, uh, in a commercial real estate space, who knows of a vacant space or a, with a friendly landlord that would be cool to maybe make a donation or some sort of in-kind contribution to this cause. And for a month. For, yeah. yeah and, oh, so not, not a weekend. Yeah. No, no, no. no. The well, scope we creep. Yeah, we had but, to build it. But, yeah, like, we only wanted, like, it open for three a days. month or less. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> the dream was three days. So who's going <laughs> to give us a space, Yeah. You know, like that? So I call Buddy, and uh, he says, well, actually, I know... Uh, the senior manager at General Growth Properties. And I'm going to give them a strong plug because General <laughs> Growth uh, really stepped up. Yeah. Um, and they're one of the largest operators of retail space in America. Hmm. And uh, and so he said, let me call Jim Sadler over at General Growth and mm -hmm. see if he's interested in this. They also happen to be the owners or prop, I don't know how yeah. what you call them, but they run the property of the largest mall here in town. Okay. In the state. Uh, mm -hmm. It's called West Roads Mall. Yeah. 
And so we immediately got a response from the manager, and mm-hmm. he said, I absolutely want to be involved with this. Uh, I'm on a sub-planning committee for this organization, uh, and I didn't know this is what you're doing, but we're, we're all in. So he's, he's part of yeah. this. Turns this... out he's an elder at one of the churches. Oh, wow. Yeah. So. yeah. So. yeah. And, and, you know, I'm like, well, isn't General Growth going to have something to say about this? He's like, no, we're, I run the place. You, we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. He's like, come on over, you know, next week and start looking at spaces in, on our property here yeah. in this mall. Now, this mall is centrally located. It is in the heart of Omaha. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's at the major intersections of all the highways and the uh, overpass. Um, It is right smack dab in the city center, which is great because, again, we got 40 churches that we're trying to represent here. From all over the city. Yeah. And so we're like, this is amazing. Yeah. This is perfect. And I'm thinking, again, guys, I'm thinking a (laughs) closet-sized space. I would have taken a utility closet. (laughs) So we go over the next day and um, or a couple days later and Jim starts showing us spaces in the mall. And Roy, he starts showing us full bird retail spaces. spaces. Like, And so, Liz, what are you thinking? <laughs> it, like, he's showing us, like, Foot Locker. Like, yeah. like you know, like, yeah. 4,000 square foot, you know. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking, what the crap are we going to do with all this space? That's yeah. what I'm thinking. And what are you thinking, Andrew? I'm thinking we're so in over our head. <laughs> we have no idea what we're doing. Yeah. You yeah, know, again, I'm thinking true. we could decorate a small space and make something cool, but, you know, he's like... Because you had ideas like a trailer. Yes. Or, I mean, right. yeah. you had no Maybe thought of... Maybe we could do a video wall. That was our idea. <laughs> right. like, so yeah. nothing big. No. No, 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 no. no, no. 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 It turns out it, the one we ended up with was like 3,000 square feet. 3,000 square feet. Which so is huge. that is huge. It's, I mean, and, it, and it's done when you see it in person, an empty retail space. And it's just street, like a large a open room. It is overwhelming. We're yeah. talking, you know, uh, 15 foot ceilings. We're talking. Um, I think they were taller than Maybe that. taller. Yeah, I, I think mean, they're 20. Just a massive retail space. So, you know, when you think <laughs> about wicked problems, like yeah. we like to call them. Yeah. Um, that was the start of it. That was the start of you realizing you had a wicked problem. <laughs> yeah. We had a real problem. Like, so... Yeah. So there's a couple things that we a couple ways I want to kind of explore this with you. You're at that realization point. Yes. What What are your thoughts about what is the first thing I need to do right now? Well, the very first thing, if I'm honest, Roy, that I thought is we need more money. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, we had nonprofit budget for this. Um, We we had very little money to do it, and I'm thinking. This space is so big. So you're already hitting the solution space. I need more resources, need more money. Um, And I'm hitting the, what the crap are we going to do with this space? Because that's my job. You know, I'm the creative director, so I have to come up with ideas for, like, what to do in this gigantic space. So So we immediately started thinking about, like... Who do we call? Who do we call? Mm -hmm. Like, what what is going to help us to be able to even create some tactics to mm-hmm. attack this problem, you know? Yeah. Um, so it turns out that one of my cousins is actually um, one of the most premier environmental designers in the world. Okay. <laughs> he um, lives in Wichita, Kansas, but he um, does projects for, like, MTV. He'll do, like, um, or he'll do, like, he will like create the design and the stage for Rihanna concerts hmm. or like he, the NFL halftime yeah, show. he did the NFL halftime show. Like he'll create the stage and the whole environment for the program itself. Um, he also did like the stages for the Olympics. He's done that in the past. The Prolific. One that was, and yeah. yeah, like 
Um, he travels all over the world doing this all the time. Um, he did a pop-up store in downtown Manhattan, I think? Times Square. Times, oh, Times Square, mm -hmm. okay. He did a pop-up store for the History Channel in okay. Times Square. And so um, it just so happened that I was related, I'm related to one of the people who knows how to do this. Well, yeah. perfect. So. Yeah. Michael Downs. Thank yeah. you very much, sir. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus, for Michael Downs. So, we're driving home. I'll never forget it. We're mm -hmm. driving home, or back to the office from yeah. this meeting with General Growth. Yeah. And I said, we have no choice. We have to call your cousin. Mm -hmm. We thought maybe we could fake it till we made it on this. Yeah. And I was like, we got to call Michael. We have to call an expert. We're in over our desk. So, yeah. another key thing to think about yeah. when you're entering a complex situation is you got to admit that you're you you're you're ignorant you're or you don't know <laughs> yeah. what you're into and yeah. you got to be willing to pull people into that conversation yeah. oh, into that yeah. network and that is something we're really good at actually is like knowing what our boundaries and limits are and when to call in somebody yeah you know i think this is something interesting though that we might hover on for a moment mm -hmm. because one of the things i was reflective of during this whole project was when we first got into small business operating we were extremely scrappy mm -hmm. um you know free rent at, uh, you know, at our first office place mm -hmm. and doing things for exchange type work. Very, very scrappy. But as our resources started to grow, as we found more success in enterprise, um, we lost some of that scrappiness. And we kind of moved towards, you know, we had resources. We could buy the things that we needed to do. Um, and so when we were in this project, it was the first time that I, I really realized after a while that, boy, we can't afford <laughs> we, we got to get scrappy on this project we got to uh -huh. go to our roots of making things happen um, you know jerry rigging stuff together to make it work creative um, solutions yeah creative <laughs> solutions yeah. Um, that ultimately ended up creating a, a beautiful production but mm -hmm. um, I think if we had tried to go towards those just traditional resources we would have been and methods we would have been in a lot of trouble so mm -hmm. so Liz um from your perspective at this point in time, you're now having to go back to organizations <laughs> and pitch something that's bigger than you prob they probably bought into. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> and help them see that this is this is a way that we could all do this together, and it's going to be big. Yeah. But it could cost a lot more money and resources. Um, how did you approach that? How did you how did you uh, approach not only just the creative process, but then the the vision that you could uh, take back to the organizations? Yeah. Well, so <clears throat> it honestly is kind of like what Andrew was just saying. Like we had to think scrappy. So um, you know, we called in my cousin, and he and I started you know brainstorming ideas of what we could do and what we could accomplish, and like not even just what we what was possible, but like what we really wanted to get out of the situation, you know, because like, um, there's the functional side of it. There's the like resourcing side of it, but there's also the, like, we really want to touch people's hearts with this situation, you know, with yeah. this experience too. And so it's always kind of a balance figuring that out. Um, and so when Michael and I were talking through some of our ideas, you know, um, I really just had to, when I was, in meetings with, you know, the different pastors and team and stuff, the leadership committee, um, you just had to be able to, like, paint the picture. And so you bring in visuals and you, you know, you try to, um, and a lot of times 
like with pastors, if you can always point it back to this is how we're helping people, this mm-hmm. is how we're doing this, you know, like then, um, I mean, usually they can get on board. And so that's what we try to do is really make sure that like everything that we did with the design and every idea that we had was about engagement from mm-hmm. people. And so usually that is that really worked in our favor. Yeah, we had to tell you a story. Know? Yeah. Um, I think one of the things we've learned in design and creative specifically is that generally speaking, clients lack imagination. They have a hard time envisioning where we're going. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you've learned this in your consulting work as well, is that uh, a lot of times we really have to paint the picture literally for what <laughs> this space is going to be. And I think that's something that Michael brought to the equation in this project so profoundly mm-hmm. was his renderings of the space. Once, mm-hmm. once he and Liz landed on the theme for the project, mm-hmm. uh, he put together uh, draft renderings that were you know, unreal. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was pretty easy to go to our constituents, our stakeholders, and say, hey, here's where we're going with this project. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're all in. Um, but I'll also tell you, we learned something really valuable here. And then that, that is we didn't ask for more money which was a huge mistake, mm. um, ultimately a costly mistake. Our story is not one of uh, pure success. Uh, it was one of... Uh, if you're willing to share, we'll go there yeah, later. We'll yeah. go there, yeah. <laughs> sure. Um, you know, and, and so it was a good learning lesson for us. So I think we were a little timid to ask for more money. So if you're listening to this, guys, yeah. and you're in, you're in consulting or in creative, uh, you know, it's okay if you've got a big, hairy idea, if you've got a wicked problem, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. if you've got a cool concept as well. You gotta get. You gotta cover that. Yeah. Um, and so that was a that was something. We that was a big learning lesson for us. Yeah. Is that when we need to, we have to ask for more money. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we're able to now set this up, and and it's yeah. a three thousand square foot space. Space. Yep. You've now got this big, audacious, amazing concept, mm-hmm. and the theme. Uh, had you settled on the name of the theme at that point in time? We knew that. The um, logo and like campaign and messaging was Love Can. Okay. So. So um, you kind of had that at least. Yeah, uh-huh. um, in your head and your mind. Yeah. So, for our listeners of in in the in the Omaha region, you'll recognize because yeah. you did a ton of work leading yeah. up to it. Yeah. And then subsequently promotion during it, but the Love Can experience yep. is what it was called. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But. A great idea and a great concept in a space. You, you you had to actually get the thing built. Yeah. Right. Get yeah. it done. Yeah, it gets better. Can we so. can we talk a little bit about the theme of this? Yeah, story? let's yeah. do that. Like maybe let's do just that so that people can help understand maybe some of the inspiration for it. So um, at one point, Michael he was showing me. We had a phone call and he was showing me a bunch of different ideas that he had that we could do. You know, there were, um, you know, the theme of, like, churches. So there were ideas of, like, um, stained glass windows Uh or there was, you know, there's just all kinds of things that we could do that we talked about. Giant light boxes, you know, all kinds of things. Um, And at one point he showed me a couple of pieces that he had done. I can't remember who the brands were for, but, um, like, living garden walls Mm. that he had done that were like um you have plants that are like placed on like an entire wall from like floor to ceiling and then you can have signage over the top of it or something like that but essentially it's like just a wall of plants and it just looks really cool it's like living it's organic you know 
So, um, so that's where that idea came from. That is where that idea came from. <laughs> he presented it to me, and it just so happened that um, Carrie Job, she's an art, a musician, artist um, that I love listening to. She um, came out with this a new album, and on the album there was a song called um, "The Garden," I think is the name of it. Okay. Where she talks about um, like the Holy Spirit and the presence of God being like a garden and coming into this garden of like your um, interaction with with Him uh-huh. and stuff like that. And I was like, "Holy crap, that's the idea! Like right. that's where we need to go because we want to create this." living garden space for people to come into and so from that's kind of where it we started on okay. you know that's where we started and then we kind of built out things from there so the vision for that was like the whole space or one wall or that's right I'd, listeners <laughs> <laughs> the original concept was to have living plant walls for the entire 3,000 square yeah. foot space oh my goodness yeah living plant walls in, in beginning in March and and like, where what what time period are we in? This is the winter time. So, so <laughs> this is probably December, January. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it was a couple years ago. Yeah. yeah, a couple years. So the original concept was floor to ceiling plant living plant walls, um, which you know if you if you spend any time in Florida or you know the southeast at all, it's it's not uncommon to see plant walls in car dealerships and places like that. Um, but those typically require a certain amount of engineering um, to keep the plants alive and, yeah. and they have sunlight. They build their own and, ecosystem for it. Yeah, it's a big deal. Um, and they're usually not temporary. And they're Correct. usually not temporary. Yeah. 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 So our wicked problem becomes more wicked. It does. Um, <laughs> and, of course, our client is loving this concept. Of course. A beautiful plant immersive experience inside of a shopping mall. Uh, it could be, could be really really engaging and really draw people in. Yeah. And, of course, we can't do fake plants. Because one, you can tell they're fake, and two, the idea is that they're actually living. Living. Okay. The idea yeah. is living. Because it's supposed to be Love, a living space. Living space. Yeah. yeah. Love that. Yeah. I think Love it. Beautiful. PTSD. <laughs> well, so we got into the space, and we started to realize that um, just from a, a sheer volume of plants and the high ceilings in the uh, in the shopping mall that we were in, uh, that we really had a conundrum to fill the entire space. Um, so what we did is we started uh, a process of partitioning off the space um, to create movement throughout the environment. So Michael, again, being brilliant, he also does a lot of stuff with museums. Mm-hmm. Um, so he understands moving environments throughout a space to engage your audience. And so we started partitioning off spaces to create tactile opportunities for people to be immersed in the living plant walls, but then to also have other engagement points that would draw them further into the back of the store. Okay. So this is an iterative process that you're yeah. going through. Yeah. yeah. You're kind of prototyping the ideas, getting mm-hmm. the stakeholder buy-in with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and and yeah. just kind of, uh, you know, sometimes we call it the messy middle. Yes. You just kind of have to get in it. Yeah. You well, kind of have to walk into the mud. Dive in. To yeah. kind of figure out what you got. And yeah. we got to start figuring out what do things cost. Yeah. Uh, because after we iterated and, and realized we can't do living space for the whole thing because mm-hmm. um, we just it's going to be too cumbersome and we got to keep the plants alive oh by the way for a month uh, because that's also the thing that happened is this started transforming into it was supposed to be one weekend and wow. it transformed into an entire month so now we're a month uh-huh. in this space open every day or every weekend three I days a weekend three days a okay weekend. friday saturday sunday yeah. but you had to keep all the plants all alive the plants alive for a month in a in a retail space with no windows right and you had a goal of how, how much throughput how much what throughput of people 
uh, we wanted to have, you know, obviously we wanted uh, four or five figures versus uh, of attendance. Uh, we ended up with, I'll spoil it, we ended up with about 7,000 people coming through the store. Awesome. Uh, in a month. Uh, which is pretty good. Um, yeah. Especially after the holiday season, traffic's a little bit lower, so that was pretty mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. So what we started to learn then is as we iterated, we realized we wanted to have a, an immersive video experience. Okay. So we needed to bring in technology, mm-hmm. and we needed to bring th- theatrical lighting in. Um, and so we started, uh, that was the first place where we started to run into real conflict. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, we brought in, um, you know, different technology providers to talk about how do we throw the video up on the walls? Um, how do we do this in HD and create immersive sounds? So we wanted a real surround sound experience so that when you're in this space, it was all painted black. Uh, you would really feel like the video was on top of you. Mm-hmm. Again, we're designers. And so <laughs> thinking in terms of just real experience um, and what we found was the projector cost to do this was going to be somewhere around $50,000 for the month. Oh, wow. Uh, it was mostly because of the length of time, yeah. too. You know, like one day, it, you know, it, would, it yeah. was a lot less than that. But, but renting because the we needed it for such a long period of time, uh-huh. that's where the cost really got jacked yeah. up. Yeah, because as you can imagine, you know, if I'm a... If I'm a technology provider, I can be using those uh, pieces of equipment on yeah. different productions all over town. And so mm-hmm. um, we started really running into, boy, that's way more than our budget can handle. We're mm-hmm. thinking like $10,000 yeah. a month. Um, <laughs> so we're 5x over budget. Yeah. So we had to start getting really scrappy. That's mm-hmm. where that scrappiness had to come mm-hmm. up. Yeah. And that was the first place we experienced it. Um, and so one of the nice resolutions there is we found some short throw projectors. Um, that couldn't be quite as large. Uh, it was 20 foot by 10 foot, I believe, at the end. We wanted it to be like 30 by 30 uh, <laughs> at the beginning. Uh, but the short throw did the trick. We, yeah. we, we were still pretty immersive. Uh, and one of the things we changed then is we uh, blacked out the room completely. Mm-hmm. Uh, originally, we were going to have some white space and um, some other things in that immersive video experience. But ultimately, with the designers and their input, we realized that if we black out everything in there, even a smaller projection screen, um, is going to feel immersive. Yeah. So that was the first piece of conflict. Yeah. And, and we, that was, we had two projectors on two different walls. Mm-hmm. They were projecting the same videos, but they were, you know, not quite floor to ceiling, but like yeah. you said. And then from a creative perspective, you're having to script, write, produce. <laughs> we got to create all that content. All this oh, content yeah. around By the way, we stories. Have to all the videos yeah. yes, um, that run on a loop. For, and honestly, I can't even remember how long the videos were. We had like multiple videos that were running on a loop. So I think it was like 10 minutes long for the yeah. whole thing. And then it would circle back around. So if anybody's ever done any professional video production would know the amount of work that has to it's go into it. Yeah. So you're doing content, creative content yeah. building at the same time you're yeah. trying to build space. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. who's in charge of all this thing? Oh, yeah, so that, yeah, so Liz and I became professional <laughs> construction managers. Okay. I mean, Liz is already a professional creative manager, and yeah. so. But you're the general contractor yeah, now. Yeah, so I'm the general contractor on this. Yeah. And oh, by the she's way, she's the general. She's the yeah. chief creative. Yeah, and yeah. on our nonprofit budget, uh, we couldn't afford to hire professional labor, um, and so we decided to lean on the churches for volunteer labor. That was, by the way, not our idea. That was the the pastor leadership committee they said we have tons of volunteers we could get lots of people so now we're going to add on top of this volunteer coordination that's right so we've got an immersive experience that's going to be a jungle that's reiterated (laughs) (laughs) our budget is just enough to cover construction costs and no labor no labor yeah. It is a wicked problem. It's a wicked also, problem. Also, the carpet in there was really gross. So yeah, the carpet, carpet was horrible. <laughs> uh, 
So, yeah, so we start, so Liz is creating content, and we're, by content, we're talking about spoken word, video, yeah. we're talking live music productions, mm. um, inside yeah. and outside of the space, video, live, uh, video music productions, mm-hmm. uh, motion graphic swooping in on this video wall. Uh, I mean, there is a lot of creative content. And on the other side of the, like, there was kind of like a partition out where the video wall, walls were, and then on the other side of that partition we had um like i think they were three foot by four foot sized black and white images of different people from the churches Mm -hmm. and they were just like it was just kind of bringing in another human element you know of like hey these are these are people that are representing us and who we are and you know it's just being authentic in who we are and so it was kind. Of, we kind of called it like the faces of Omaha. Okay. And so they were they were these just really large kind of gallery of of images and people kind of that a we photo hung lesser. up. Yeah. It was, yeah. Kind so of a for the listeners, we'll send a link to Roy. He yeah. It in It'll be in the show notes. Yeah. Now, so you can go look at these. You can go look at the finished product. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Yeah. So let's let's spend a little bit of time about how you individually approach your leadership philosophy amongst this. <laughs> unique challenge, I would call it. Yeah. Um, what are some things for our listeners on how you, th- you may not have purposely thought about yeah. this, mm-hmm. but maybe upon reflection, um, a couple of years out of it now, you've been able to say, this is what I learned about myself as a leader in complexity, in, in uncertain, in facing uncertainty and having to navigate that. Um, yeah. Because you, you ultimately ended up really being like a general contractor. Yes. Yeah. But not with paid labor, volunteer labor. Yes. Um, <laughs> and you ultimately had to navigate all these different stakeholders yeah. in the creative process, which I know for most creatives, we don't, you don't want that many stakeholders. Right. You want as few stakeholders as you can get to yeah. get the vision done correctly. So, yeah. let, and you ultimately were a big part of obviously the construction of the space mm-hmm. and the design of the space. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so let's talk a little bit about some things you learned to, uh, as a leader mm-hmm. in that particular space. Yeah. So I want to add one more piece to the complex thing. Okay. <laughs> uh, and, and then I'll talk about what I learned in kind of the darkest hour. So <clears throat> we got to the point where we needed to buy all the plants for the living world. Yeah, that's actually a very good story. So let's talk yeah. about that because it's... <laughs> so we got to the point, and there's a lot of conflict that we can't even get into, but this is the biggest yeah. one where I was at my lowest point as a leader. Um, we had to buy all the plants for the walls, and I needed to cover... Um, Roughly 1,500 square feet of wall space uh, with a, a plant called a pothos plant. Um, and so we started calling local nurseries, big local nurseries. I mean, these are the nurseries that service most of eastern Nebraska. And what I learned was because of the time of year. Um, By this time, it was February. It's Febu- it was February. And so you're opening in? May. A- April, April. April. The April. end of April, beginning of May. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, um, but I need to get the order in. So what I learned was they didn't carry the stock of what we needed. They had to import it directly from Florida. And the amount I needed of the plant that we were buying for the size, uh, the square foot size of the leaves that we needed, uh, we would end up essentially buying all of the stock of, of Florida. Um, all of the stock. Yeah. All of the stock. All of it. Yes. Not just a little bit. Yeah. Yes. All of it. Thousands out, of We were going to buy out Florida mm-hmm. um, for these living plant walls. Oh, my goodness. Which is not... Because it turns out you yeah. don't have those plants in the Midwest in the middle of winter. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, sure, there's all kinds of really small ones. You know, Florida had all, like, little three-inch pots, uh-huh. but we needed six-inch pots. You needed mature plants. We needed uh-huh. mature plants, so we are going to buy all of them. Because um, they had to cover the wall, and so the yeah. larger the plants, the more coverage you got. 
so I was I was at a place where I was just completely overwhelmed. Um, you know, the cost, uh, the logistics of getting those plants on a flatbed truck to Nebraska, queued up. Um, logistically, just a huge uh, effort. Uh, they were coming in on semi. We had to store them for a period of time to install them uh, to make sure that they stayed alive. I was at a very, very low point. And I've never, again, like we talked about, I grew up blue collar, gritty, scrappy. Uh, I've never wanted to quit something so bad in my life. Mm. I remember coming home and telling Liz, can can we just give them their money back? <laughs> I'm serious. I, I was like, I, was like I, I don't know that we're going to be successful in this. Yeah. Can we just give them their money back and quit? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, I think that was the, probably one of the lowest points of my professional career ever mm-hmm. um, as an accountant, as an advisor, as an advertiser. Um, and uh, it, was, uh, it was really a place where we had to dig deep and think about, you know, our values as a leader, yeah. know, integrity, follow through, yeah. uh, you know, those types of things. Uh, and I was very, I, I was beat down, you know, mm-hmm. working 20 hour days, trying to get this thing built. Uh, and we just kept running into these wicked, wicked logistics problems. Yeah. Um, volunteers that didn't show up, you know, things like that. Um, and I think that's where I really had to get self-reflective mm-hmm. um, and, and really had to dig deep and think about who I am as a person. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> How about you, Liz? What am I supposed to talk about? My leadership? Yeah. Well, just how, maybe how reflect, reflecting, reflecting back on the experience, yeah. was, were there some, some key things you learned yeah. personally yeah. about how to, how to navigate this, this so, uncertainty that you were facing? Yeah. Um, so it's kind of interesting for me. I have never been the type of person who has, um, like, been the obvious leader. I've never been that type of person. I've always been more um, either introverted or shy or just, like, want to do my own thing, that kind of stuff. And honestly, a big part of this store, and I'm not exactly sure when it happened, but it was, like, through the um, building of the store, I realized that um, I actually was capable of being a leader, Mm. even. You know, and, like, I'd always kind of felt a little bit like an imposter in the role that I had as the owner of of Daycloud. And um, through this process, I know yours is different than mine, but, like, through this process, I really, um, (laughs) this is going to sound strange, but, like, people did what I said, which was weird for me. (laughs) Like, it was kind of like a, oh, like, I am in charge of this. This is a new, whole new level for me of just, like, the size of project and the, like, size of team that I'm overseeing and, like, just everything. And so it was like, I really started to, um, that was, like, kind of the beginnings of, like, kind of the solidifying of, me being a leader at all, mm-hmm. you know, in my life in general. And um, so I would say, yeah, that's a big part of it, you know. And and people would come to me and ask for solutions, and I would be able to give that to them, mm-hmm. which was like, like, okay. It was like, it was really building me up in a lot of ways because I was able to see things about myself that I'd never seen before, you know, that like, oh, I am capable of this, you know. So. Yeah, I think that's that's a great insight. Um, mm-hmm. Most people don't are never really afforded this opportunity yeah. to be able to, to get it in such a direct way. Yeah. 
um, you know, in our consulting practice, we talk about the ability to visualize uh, the complex problem is very, very important yeah. mm-hmm. uh, because you have to understand what's happening. And mm-hmm. I think you're, you, you've summarized very well that you were able to really quickly understand what the root cause of the problem sets were and how. <laughs> then you have to be able to, to really describe them in the solution space. And yeah. you have two different solution spaces you're working in here right now. You're working in a creative uh, solution space and you're working in, in an actual like construction yeah. solution space. So there's right. a there's this visualization that has to actually be put into the real world. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, and then you got to direct it. You got to yeah. actually implement it. And that's, yeah. that's such a unique, unique thing and experience to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about what happened. Mm-hmm. You, you, yeah. Let's talk about, you know, you can even spend a little bit of time on the actual building of the space if you want to, yeah. but yeah. let's talk about the, the, the aftermath, if you will. What, yeah. what was, what was, what was the end results of, the, of this whole effort? I'd love to just speak to founders really fast. Founders and operators, you know, I was just describing being in the, that very low place, the yeah. messy middle, yeah. uh, you know, you're, you're knee deep in the mud. You rolled your mud. sleeves up, you're just yeah. Right, and I wish, you know, I think in a lot of the, a lot of the stuff I listen to and read, I think a lot of times founders and operators have a tendency to gloss over that and be like, and then we had breakthrough. Yeah. You know? yeah. And uh, I, I, that's not the case no. for us. I mean, we had to grind it out for two months building this space and every day uh, I'm going to say sucked more than the last for quite some time so it's um, that became your place of that became your place of employment yeah, oh, yeah. I mean you ate when, you yeah. ate meals there oh yeah you yeah. did yeah it was we spent, yeah like all of our evenings were spent there like I would go to work during the day and Andrew would have been there most of the day yeah. and then we would work you know well lit, into the evening well into and the you're still night. trying to run multiple businesses yeah we, yeah. we still have to operate our other businesses yeah. inside it yeah and I think you know we we got to a place where you know and then uh, you know again to founders like and we had blown through the budget we were spending our own money at yeah. this point um and so there was also this economic reality of like every overage that we have Every uh, error that we have um, is coming out of our pocket now. Our personal pockets. Yeah. And so, <laughs> you know, there was one night where I was just super fatigued. I'd been working really late painting, and uh, I had a, a forklift-type uh, heavy piece of heavy equipment I was operating, and I just slipped, and I crushed a, a piece of the install element that we put in, wow. and it was going to require to be completely rebuilt. Oh, man. And I remember just pa- parking the forklift and walking away. <laughs> So angry. Yeah. And one of the guys that was volunteering that day, an older guy, um, who's very wise, he said, hey, Andrew, you need to shake it off. People have killed themselves on that type of equipment. Mm-hmm. You didn't die. You broke You broke an install element. Yeah. Like, That's not reasonable. a big deal. And that was yeah. really great perspective, and it's what I needed to hear in that moment yeah. because it, was, it just seemed so dark. Yeah. And so if you're a founder, if you're an operator out there and you're in that messy middle, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's, it could be a while. It yeah. sucks. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's good. it could be a while. And it can be very dark for a long time. Yeah, um, you know, and, and, and maybe in your situation there is loss of life. You know, yeah. I mean, that's a real thing. Um, but uh, I think there's also something that I learned about my ability to, to, to grit and to yeah. grind mm-hmm. um, that, uh, and that I now brush your shoulders off. Brush my shoulders <laughs> off. Now I feel like I have a greater understanding of what my capabilities are as a yeah. leader. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, like, it's like we found our depth. Almost, yeah. mm. you know, like we were able to, you know, growing up, like we've talked about, like we both have had, you know, been through a lot just growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, but then this was like a new level of depth that we were able to reach in who we are personally. Yeah. And, uh, you know, 
I don't know any other situation. And, and because I know you personally, I yeah. think it also a new level of, of depth in your relationship. Yeah. yeah. Together. <laughs> yeah, we well, really yeah. struggled on this one together, yeah. and that was huge. Yeah, because this something like this could could completely cause a... Oh, yeah. Probably could make or break people. That's yeah. true. Yeah. 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 So to get to the resolution, because I know uh, we've, we've <laughs> we're tarried, in the dark place. <laughs> we've carried in this dark place pretty long. Yeah. <laughs> so we had some really beautiful moments yeah. where we had unbelievable volunteers show up. I'll yeah. never forget one Saturday. Uh, there was twenty volunteer craftsmen up there, professional guys that took their Saturday to come help us frame, come help us uh, drywall and paint. And it, it was it was so beautiful. Yeah. Guys that just gave you know brought their own tools, brought yeah. their own equipment, uh, using our materials uh, to to start putting this vision into action. Yeah. And there was unbelievable stories of uh, part of the vision of this space was constructing it. We yeah. wanted people from the community to come build this as part of the experience of Love Can. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's one beautiful story I'll share really fast, and that there was two women working in the space together. Volunteers from different churches, they didn't know each other. They started talking as they were painting um, one of the elements of the space. And they come came to learn that both of them were recovering drug addicts. Mm. Um, uh, they were in, both of them in recovery, uh, one for a longer time than the other, uh, that they had a lot in common. And they actually became friends. Mm. Um, and they were. we heard back later um, that they were both desperate for community, mm-hmm. and they found it building this store. Mm-hmm. And they became friends um, going forward. True. What a great yeah. story. Yeah. That, I mean, that's, yeah. that, that's the whole vision. So beautiful. Of, of I mean, the, it is the vision of what we were trying to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And those were the stories that, that also propelled us. Yeah. Like, okay, we're on to something here. Mm-hmm. This advertising campaign, this pop-up experience, yeah. mm-hmm. has more legs to it than just building a stupid store. Mm-hmm. Um so not stupid. Not stupid but <laughs> I felt like you it. felt like yeah. it, right? <laughs> uh, so so we we ultimately we constructed this space. Mm-hmm. Um, we got the plants on the wall, and we had thousands of people come through. We had hundreds of people volunteer to man mm-hmm. the store because uh, it was open during mall hours. Yeah. Um, and we even had people from a, from Western Nebraska and other parts of the state come see what a pop-up store could look like mm-hmm. um, in their own local communities. They, a lot of people hadn't seen something like this before. Um, and so people were really impressed uh, by just the sheer, uh, <laughs> I think the sheer pomp and circumstance yeah. of what yeah. we had built. It yeah. was really immersive. Yeah. It was really amazing. Yeah. One of the largest pieces and one of my favorite favorite things about the store that we did um is we had these little cards they were just like business card size and we had a team um from the church Andrew and I attend Mm -hmm. they wrote down like words of encouragement and then we printed them out and for every single person that walked into the store, we handed them a card. I remember and, that. And we just hoped that it would encourage them for whatever place they were at in their life. Mm-hmm. And so that was a big part of that sharing that love and compassion, you know, as people are coming into the store. And it turned out that um, there were several people that posted on social media after they had been in the store saying, hey, they took a picture of their card and said, I was feeling super down and the the card that they gave me said that God sees you or something like that yeah. and then they would talk about how that had affected them and and really encouraged them and so it was cool to be able yeah. to see on social media you know like all the different people that were interacting and with all the different elements that we had in the store too yeah mm-hmm. I think the, the the net outcome from all the effort was so impactful 
um, that really did touch people's lives, mm-hmm. um, that it was totally worth it. Yeah. Um, I think at the end of the day, our client was super happy. Um, uh, that client not being singular. That right, client yeah. being Cl- yeah. the, the, the community, yeah. community, yeah. The yeah. community yeah. and then those, that circle of churches that pulled their resources to do this. Yeah. They were happy. Uh, it was more than any of us could have ever imagined at the yeah. onset. Yeah. And I think one of the most powerful things was to take the renderings that mm-hmm. Liz and Michael had originally created when we saw the raw space mm-hmm. and then look at those pictures and then see the finished product. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To see the likeness and how close it was to see that come to life mm-hmm. through volunteers, mm-hmm. no paid labor, uh, you know, yeah. with some tweaks and some reiteration, uh, unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, just yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Another piece of the store that I would say um, was really impactful for the community was we had this, um, gosh, was it eight foot tall and 20 foot wide yeah. um, mural that we... Um, my designers had like created um they had put together this mural that said love can do anything and then like a coloring book they created all of this filigree and stuff that around the lettering that essentially we created a giant color wall Mm -hmm. that people could come in and color on so because we wanted some sort of like interactive piece for um people to come in and like interact with the space somehow that so that thing was huge yes it was massive um and so we built this wall and then michael and then my designers with permanent marker (laughs) came in and redrew it to scale um and so it was like this giant coloring book essentially and people came in and that thing was colored in within three days. No, you wanted it to last the whole yeah, three weeks, right? Yeah, yeah, it, it didn't, which was another, um, Learning we, lesson. L- well, another creative problem solving. So we ended up having people um, draw on the floor as well. So, um, but funny yeah. story about that mural. Yeah. I mean, this was three professional artists spent three days drawing this mural. Uh, five days. Five days drawing this mural. Excuse mm-hmm. me, I do them a disservice in that. <laughs> so it filled up, and our client came to us after the first weekend and said, do you have another one of those? Oh. Another one. <laughs> We're like, that's a hand-drawn I mural. Think, I think I almost started crying. Oh, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> they may not have realized that that was hand-drawn. Yeah, you know, you yeah, I just, don't think you did. You just don't just print that off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was all hand-drawn, but it was really cool because the community loved it, you know, so so much so that it was done, you know, they colored it in the whole thing within three days, the first yeah. weekend. And I thought that was really cool. I think another key piece to that space that I really enjoyed, especially with, I remember going in there with my son. Yeah. Uh, he loved the wall yeah. and being able to add to that and mm-hmm. be, feel part of it. But what he, what he loved was, was the map on the floor. Yeah. Because <laughs> in the way you placed it in the space, I think it was so purposeful one, mm-hmm. but it was, it was such a great part of the experience because yeah. now you could put um, spatial context to what was happening in the space because you could look on the map and say, well, I live here. And then I'm standing next to somebody saying, well, I live here. Yeah. And a conversation just started. Yeah. Which was, I think. your neighbors or. You, you know, know? It's, it's about understanding the yeah. people around us. Yeah. And the community. And as you said at the beginning, Omaha is a very segregated community. Yeah. And, and I may not normally interact with. Yeah. that person yeah. right from that part of town yeah. Yeah. so to speak and yeah. I, I think that was something that was very powerful about yeah. the experience yeah. so yeah. Um, I want to change this just a little yeah. bit um, and, and as you think about 
somebody else who may be stepping into something that's just so uncertain or <laughs> wicked problem, complex yeah. challenge. Um, based on what you've learned out of the, what's some advice you would give those individuals about a couple of things, maybe about how they think about the problem that they're facing. Yeah. Um, not necessarily what they do, yeah. but how do they, how do they approach thinking about the problem? You know, I know Einstein's got his famous quote that, you know, if I got a problem and I only got an hour to solve it, I'm going to spend 50 minutes, you know, thinking about the problem before I do anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second question is um, advice you give them on through the act, through the action steps that you take, that through the action that you do to actually go into solving the problem. Yeah. What, what are some things that you would uh, advise some people who are in facing that? Well, one thing I would say right off the bat is that you're capable of way more than you think you are um and and like it's okay to use your resources like that is just for me as an entrepreneur with the store and then honestly running a business my whole life probably one of the biggest things i've learned is that use your resources and like be shameless about it you know Mm -hmm. ask your friends it's okay to you know talk to people and like get experts on that know what they're talking about and um and that like you really can figure it out you know like so you don't know a program or a piece of software guess what that's what google's for you know like you can figure that out you know like and that or if google can't do it then like ask somebody you know like i just like to me that was like a huge part of what i learned throughout the whole process and throughout the process of running a business is that oh, I can do this. Mm -hmm. I am capable of this. I am smart enough, you know, just, and it's not like everything. It's not like I am coming up with everything from the inside of me. It's more of like, I just am really tenacious and then know where to go to find out what I need. Mm, The tenacity (laughs) is very important too. Yes. The tenacity is massive. I would say, you know, so I'm an accountant, I'm a planner. Uh, and I think one of the things we've learned as a creative shop and as a design shop is that process matters. Mm-hmm. Um, for many years, when we first started as a design studio, um, we would just kind of wing it because, you know, we're creatives. You yeah. know? So we didn't really have a process for creating logos and branding. And so we'd hit or getting it. New, more money from clients. Or, yeah, we're going back for more money <laughs> from clients. Right? Or even contracts. Yeah. Or even, yeah. even legal agreements. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the things we've really sp- spent a lot of time on is process. Um, you know, how do we do something that is consistent and repeatable? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I would say that will take you 80% of the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, process is really, really important until you get to what we face in this case is a wicked problem where there was no process for this. We yeah. had no, we were in we uncharted were making territory. It up every day. Right. We were in the <laughs> desert in uncharted territory. We like to call that building the airplane in flight. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we were oh, constructing God. it in so, flight while yeah. it was landing. Right, I mean, it's coming. Which is not smart. Yeah. And so at that point, I think uh, using a, a kind of an agile type approach where it's you're you're making decisions and reiterating. I think one of the things that an operator could really run into is um, decision fatigue and or decision paralysis, yeah. where it's so heavy, the problem is so wicked, you just don't want to do anything. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where I was at when yeah. I was at that really low point. Is I just want to turn in my keys and go. Mm-hmm. Like this is not fun. Um, <laughs> and so you can. And so, but I would say you've got to you've got to just keep making decisions and then 
adjusting to the new circumstances that are yeah. presented. Yeah, that's something we, we try to put into practice in our consulting practice yeah. as well, yeah. is that you know our clients get to that point of decision paralysis, and it yeah. first starts with not really understanding the problem. Yeah. yeah. Um, but if you have an understanding of the problem and you, you kind of get weighted down with those very in-your-face kind of problems, yes. and it's yeah. sometimes hard to, to pull yourself out of, it of so that. It feels so big. Especially yeah. when there's economic cost to it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because when you're in it and you're over budget and like you like we said, we're spending our own money at this point, you have a tendency to want to go to the to the least cost alternative, mm-hmm. um, which in some cases is going to lead down to further for, uh, decision issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think I think that's one thing I would just encourage people is follow your process. If you've got a design process, a thinking process, or if you need to hire a Roy to help you with your food, follow the process. Yes. Yeah. And then when the process runs out, keep making decisions and then reiterate. Yeah, that's yeah. the key is you yeah. got to keep moving forward mm-hmm. in any complex challenge because that's yeah. it's all about learning. Yeah. It's all about seeing what happens so yeah. you can learn how the environment of the problem is shifting and changing mm-hmm. and then yeah. a new solution is going to emerge. Right. Yeah. It's going to happen. I it mean, it happened to. with the plants, right? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Um, you know, you got a creative solution out of that yeah. eventually. Somehow um, we figured it out. Yeah. So. We ended up buying, so we bought, to Roy's point, we bought all the pothos in Florida. That still wasn't enough for coverage. So we bought all the ferns in the state of Nebraska. And um, ivy. And ivy, that's right. We had to also <laughs> augment with, yeah. with most of the ivy. Um, so we had <laughs> thousands of pothos. Uh, I think a thousand ferns yeah. um, and a, a few hundred ivy plants yeah. mm-hmm. to fill. Um, and so, yeah, you know what? Pothos were sold out. Make a decision, buy it all, yeah. and yeah. pivot. Yeah. yeah. The other thing I would say, too, is like you have to know what majors and minors are. Mm-hmm. Like, you huh. have to be able to separate and compartmentalize. So like, unpack that a little bit. What do so, you So, like, um, in this situation, particularly, we had to, there was no way that, it, no matter how many plants we bought, we just didn't have the money to get enough plants to cover everything mm-hmm. that the design called for. So what we ended up doing is picking and choosing which walls and pieces of the you know construct were the most important, and we covered those with plants, and then everything else we either painted black or just covered up with something else okay you know so like and that was like part of it is like we had to know what the major pieces were the most important mission critical which in that case were the pieces that you saw right away as you walked in to the store and then everything else is like you know i don't want to say cut corners because that like sounds bad but like you can figure out other scrappier more creative solutions because it's less of a big deal yeah. Some of those other things. Um, that's a great insight, um, especially anybody who might be listening that's in a decision-making role. Yeah. Is is to get out of decision paralysis, yeah. especially in a complex challenge, mm-hmm. you need to be able to map what is what is critical yeah. and what is not. Yeah. What's uh, mission and then, critical? And then you know, it's if you're a leader in in my professional back experience of being in the in the military we call that mission command but yeah. it's given the intent that you want to achieve mm-hmm. and then and then giving kind of what we call left and right limits but yeah. you know what boundaries you not want people to leave out of right. but then giving them the um, authority and the permission mm-hmm. to take risk yeah. or to 
uh, implements something that may not be the original vision, but yeah. it achieves the intent. Yeah. Yes. Um, if that yes. makes sense. So. In, account, in accounting, we call it substance over form. Okay. What are what are the what are the journal entries trying to say mm -hmm. when you're accounting for something versus what shape does it take on the balance sheet or income statement? Right. What's the substance over the form? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And that's such a critical element to yeah. leading teams mm -hmm. is what is the substance we're trying to do, how it happens. Uh, a lot of times is immaterial, mm -hmm. uh, but what are we really trying to accomplish is the, is the heart of the matter. Yeah. So uh, I've generally been asking this of most of our guests. Uh, are you big readers? Yes. You are big readers? I'm a big podcast. You're a big podcaster. <laughs> so I, I need the one or the two things that you would recommend or you may be recommending right now um, to, to mm -hmm. those you come in contact with that, yeah. that um, are providing a lot of um, a lot of value to you individually, mm -hmm. but you think would provide value to to those that that are listening. That's a good question. I'm going to my phone to get my list here. <laughs> You're like me. You keep the list. By the way, for our listeners, I just heard of a book that I haven't started yet, but I'm going to, and I'm very excited about it. But uh, Walter Isaacson has published a book on Da Vinci, uh, oh. and so as a creative, Liz, you may find that. That, okay. that very interesting yeah um, so. so so this is probably played out um, and I'm sure other people will recommend this book but uh, one of the books that was really transformative for me was David and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell mm. uh, he's written a lot of great books I think most people know him for Outliers and Blink yeah. but uh, David and Goliath for me was really transformative in thinking about small business operators mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of a uh, tangential type uh, narrative to that, but yeah. it was really, really powerful to me. Um, just talking about the power of underdogs uh -huh. uh, and the power of underdog thinking. Um, so that was kind of a, a really good, um, a, just transformative business book for me. I read mm -hmm. that back when it came out in 2013. For people of faith, um, a, a new book that is just rocking my world is by Chris Valentin. It's called Poverty, Riches, and Wealth. Mm -hmm. um, and it really changed my perspective on money. Um, and I, I am a professional money manager. Yeah. I feel like I have read all the money books out there, uh, but this one just has a really fresh take. Mm -hmm. um, and I would strongly recommend it. To That's awesome. Okay. A lot of it is about having a wealthy mindset mm -hmm. versus a, you know, kind of a poor mindset, which has been really, really key for the way that we live, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. um, so the book that I just finished reading that I um, loved was a book by Bill Johnson. Mm -hmm. um, he's a pastor out in Redding, California from Bethel. He and actually Chris Valentin pastor together. Um, it's called The Way of Life, um, Experiencing the Culture of Heaven on Earth. Mm. And he talks a lot, essentially a lot of it is about, it's really cool because he talks essentially about like broadening your mind and like broadening your thinking and like, what are the things that are possible in heaven that we can accomplish here on earth? Mm. And so he talks a lot about that. And so, you know, I've, it's caused me to um, imagine and like, what if, you know, what if this, what if I could do this or what if we could do this? And like, what are some of those impossibilities mm -hmm. that are actual possibilities that we can have here on earth? And so that's. I'm That's awesome. A lot about that. Mm -hmm. So, um, one final question for both of you: Is there something that you, is there a saying or a, a theme or a motto or something that you might find yourself repeating all the time to, to people that, that maybe a summary of, of you as an individual or yeah. just the yeah. way you think about uh, life and work and all this kind of stuff? Mm -hmm. um, 
So I've got one. For go. Sure. Well, I've got a lot. Uh. <laughs> I got a lot of catchphrases, but the one that really rings out to me when you said the answered the asked the question, it immediately came to mind. Um, I was a competitive swimmer for many, many years, and uh, one of my beloved coaches, who recently retired, uh, used to always yell at us while we were training. Um, no excuses, oh. just results. Yeah, I've heard you say that. You, yeah, that's right. you can have excuses and you can have results. You can't have both. Um, and so that is something that, and this specific wicked problem was very true for us. We could have made excuses all day long uh, or we could have had results. Mm-hmm. Uh, that seems like a harsh phrase. I think it probably is a harsh phrase, but I think that really the, the substance of it for me is, is, is talking about that, that work ethic. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like at the end of the day, if you're a small business operator or owner, um, you know, it, it is on you. Yeah. You do need to put in the work. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. Um, mine would be, marry for money, love can grow. No, <laughs> <laughs> you didn't know that was coming, did you? That's good. I'm totally kidding. Andrew and I got married when we were, did not make very much money. <laughs> no, that's, that's a joke. Um, so, well, I have life themes every year that I kind of yeah. operate through and go, um, my theme for 2019 that I feel like um, I recently got um, is conquer. Ah. Um, I feel and and kind of like the idea of victory. And mm-hmm. I, I got this picture with it that was like um, me standing over a mountain range and I was stomping on top of things in my life that had been mountains in the past. Mm-hmm. I, um, I'm hoping that this means that for 2019... I will grow to three times the size of those mountains and be able to just use those as, you know, dust beneath my heels that's cool. that I can conquer. Yeah, so that's kind of my life theme right now. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I want to thank both of you for yeah. just taking time to come and not only share your story, but open open your hearts and minds mm-hmm. to, to people and our listeners. Um, if you, um, I'm going to give you both a little bit of a plug, if that's okay sure. with you. Um, <laughs> yes. If you are in need of creative services, uh, branding, uh, marketing, full service marketing, mm-hmm. reach out to Daycloud Studios, daycloudstudios.com. Is yep. that right? Yep, that's exactly right. Um, and uh, as a as a client, I'm very happy with the work that they're doing for us. Oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> But um, no, they're very thorough, very creative with what they do, um, and and we've been very very happy with them. Um, if you need some advice on wealth management, uh, reach out to is highlyhunt.com, and uh, Andrew Hunt, uh, one of the principals. Um, I would I would recommend that to you. Um, you know, if you also need uh, to to bring in somebody to help you understand complex challenges and problems. Um, you reach out to Genosco Consulting at genosco.co, G-I-N-O-S-K-O dot C-O. Um, and we thrive in navigating the unknown. Yeah. And we really want to help your organization uh, make sense of the problems that you're facing and offer creative solutions uh, that will help you uh, navigate that uncertainty. Um, and, you know, this podcast is part of that, um, but we, we just uh, would love to, to work with you. Um if you would like, we're going to have show notes from this episode, any of the links. What was the website that people could go back and find more about the uh, the Love Can experience? It's on our daycloudstudios.com website under okay. the work section. There's We have a portfolio page for it. Okay, there. we'll post the actual link in yeah. the show notes and make sure people get that. Mm-hmm. If people want to reach out individually to either one of you, where could they do that? You can find me on Twitter at Andrew D. Hunt. 
uh, you can uh, reach out at highlyhunt.com mm-hmm. um, or you can uh, reach out on LinkedIn at Andrew Hunt CFP. Mm-hmm. For me, you can um, find me on Instagram. It's Liz A. Hunt. Um, that's my Instagram handle. And then obviously daycloudstudios.com as well. My email's on there as well. Awesome. Well, thank you both for being on the Art of Complexity podcast today. Yeah. Um, I hope you enjoyed our conversation. I certainly did. And uh, just thank you both, not only for, for what you do in our community um, mm-hmm. as, as just uh, outstanding citizens, but uh, I value also your friendship as yeah. well. So yeah. thank Thanks, you. Yeah. Thanks for having yeah. us. Yeah, for having you bet. Us.